truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for hopping on board live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. DC McAllister will be joining us here in a matter of moments as we get the Dace group underway here. Un momento. 888-933-93 is the number here to The Blaze. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Email the program steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And we'll be getting to some of your feedback coming up a little bit later on on a Feedback Friday. Woke up this morning uh, checking the Twitters because that's kind of what I use for my APY Drudge Report links nowadays, as I've talked about in the past. And first thing I see is Brent Bozell over at the Media Research Center pointing out that uh, my favorite pro-life news site, LifeSite News, is getting banned by Apple's news service on all of its platforms, which tells you why they're my favorite pro-life site. (laughs) So now you know. Steve, can you tell us what you like about them? Well, they got banned by Apple News. Well, that explains it. Okay. Um, so uh, this is more and more evidence that when we have the possibility, I got an email from a gentleman today pointing out, hey, I, was, I worked at Disneyland when I was a kid. And I've been taking my family there for years, and it's getting further and further left. And then what happens is you see fewer and fewer young kids there. And then they have to move further and further left so that now one of the trending stories this week, millennials with no kids taking Disney vacations, right? Okay. So when the option presents itself, and we don't have that, unfortunately, at at every opportunity, but when the opportunity is there for us to do business with people who share our values, we would be wise to do so as America sinks further and further into a cold civil war. All right, that's why, you know, all of us nowadays, pretty much, if you're going to live in 21st century America, you've got a mobile phone. That's why you want to take a look at Patriot Mobile. It's America's only conservative, conservative, veteran-led mobile phone company with all of the coverage you get from all of the bigwigs, except over the last couple of years, they've spent about $2 million of their own profits back into conservative causes and institutions that you support as well. And they've got plans starting as low as $25 a month. So it's never been more of an incentive to make the switch. In fact, I'll give you one more. If you go to the website, patriotmobile.com and you use the promo code, come on over, just all one word, come on over is the promo code. And you use that at patriotmobile.com. You'll get a free month of service on any um, any service that you choose, all right? Any option you choose, a free month of service at patriotmobile.com, promo code, come on over. And now it's time for the Dace Group. Brought to you by our friends at Home Title Lock. It's your weekly look at the week that was. Hey, if you were watching a recent episode of 60 Minutes, uh, then you saw that the FBI's former head of cybercrimes was on there warning the nation about what we've been warning you about for many moons now. And that is the latest crime wave is what's called home title fraud. Many of our home titles and mortgages are kept online in databases, which make them more accessible for us, but then also more vulnerable for scammers. And what they do is they hack those databases, put their name on 
on your paperwork and then they take out loans against your equity using your home as collateral and often you are not going to find out until those late payments payment notices arrive in the mailbox maybe even a foreclosure warning as well your mortgage lender bank can't protect you not even your identity theft protection can but for pennies a day home title lock will put a virtual barrier around your home's title if you want to learn more and if you want to find out if your home's title has already been targeted or tampered with, simply go to HomeTitleLock.com and find out about what's called the free credit report and scan, where they will take a look at the how secure your home's title is right now. And it's free at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. We welcome DC McAllister in here with us as we begin our weekly look at the week that was. Let's get to issue one. Bleep, Democrats say. uh, is a racist. To the president's bigotry. Disgusting. Our president has a hate agenda. And racist. By the president's racist rhetoric. The murder rate comes from 400 years of structural racism. The racism, the bigotry. When you talk about a city like Baltimore, systematic and institutional racism plays a very deep part in how we got to this point. And I can talk to those white women in the suburbs that voted for Trump and explain to them what white privilege actually is. We'll call his racism out for what it is. Clearly racist connotations. Well, first of all, it's not $500 billion in financial assistance. It's $500 billion, 200 to $500 billion payment of a debt that is owed. That is what reparations is. That's just a right-wing talking point. Well, not only is it a Republican talking point. A right-wing talking point. Your question is a Republican talking point. Right-wing talking point. This has to be the party that's not afraid to say out loud, we're going to tax the hell out of the wealthy. Would you decriminalize yes. illegal border crossings? The point is not about criminalization. I know you want to talk about Michigan, so just let's last question on this. Do you think the Jewish people have the right to a state in the area where Israel exists now? Look, I, I truly believe the state of Israel is, it, it exists. But yes and or no, does Israel have a right to exist? Oh, of course. Okay. But just like Palestinians have a right to exist. Americans want to put mustard on their hot dog if they want to put mustard on their hot dog. Now, I know that my very progressive friends... Are you going to give people the, the option to put mustard on the hot dog? Well, that's what, that's what you're be, figuring out. Well, that's what I'm figuring out. Every time that Trump tweets, we lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the entire conversation that we're having here tonight, if you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. My response is Obamacare is working. Well, I've seen people go to prison for, prison for far less. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. So the first thing that I'm going to do when I'm president is I'm going to Clorox the Oval Office. Adios to Donald Trump. The person who's enjoying this debate most right now is Donald Trump. Couple of things from that montage that I didn't bring up earlier this week. That Andrew Yang at least appears to be trying to have some form of an intellectual conversation with the country. But the notion that 
if you believe that we're done because of, of, of climate alarmism and you need to get to higher ground, it reminds me of one of the most ridiculous scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And it, it's when they had uh, the, the summer of the dueling, this was like 20 years ago, but the summer of the dueling asteroid uh, apocalyptic flicks. You had Armageddon Arm- great movie. With, with Ben Affleck with like the w- most awkward kissing scene of all time in that movie between uh, her and uh, or him and what's her face? That's the Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler, yeah. And then the other one, the first one that came out was Deep Impact. Yeah. And the way that that in the at the end of the movie, Elijah Wood jumps on a motorcycle with his girlfriend on yes. the back and rides up to a hill on higher ground. And that's how they escape the apocalyptic asteroid landing that destroys and levels like the rest of humanity. And it was just one of them. I remember laughing out loud in the theater thinking this is just utterly ridiculous. How did it make it past any, any script writer whatsoever? Okay. And, and, and then the, the, there's another one that, uh, that happened in that clip. And I forgot because I'm having a senior moment because I'm 46 years old now. So I'm going to see if I can remember it as I throw it open to you guys now. Um, what was your favorite ride on the crazy train this week, DC? I've, I've left you there quiet long enough. You begin. Go ahead. Okay, Marianne, keep your hands off my hot dogs. If I want to load it with chili cheese, mayonnaise, whatever you're going to put on a hot dog, I'm going to keep it. Dear God. (laughs) Hey, it's the South. Fry it, deep fry it, whatever you want to do. But also Gillibrand saying that she wants to talk to white women in the suburbs about their privilege. Well, I'm a white woman in the suburbs and I grew up poor and I worked my way to get here. She has nothing to say to me and I'll continue to support Trump. If if you're putting mayonnaise on your hot dog, we, we may have to devote a separate topic to that. Actually, I, I believe I'm that's a dude DC. code violation no. that all genders uh, I'm, can, I'm be, can be prosecuted for. Mayonnaise on everything. Mayonnaise, uh, all the things. Okay. That, and Duke's, Duke's mayonnaise. All right. Um, I remember, oh, I remembered it now. The 1996 debate the, that Bob Dole had with Bill Clinton with the town hall format. And we were all like, when is Dole going to call Bill Clinton out? for all of his lies and flip-flops and immorality in the White House. And in that debate, Bob Dole just went off on him. And I'm watching that at home, and I'm like, yeah, finally, yeah. And then at the end, all right, he totally ruins it with, and if you want to learn more about Bob Dole, go to Bob, <laughs> Bob Dole.com. B O B. I mean, because websites were like new. Okay, go to Bob Dole uh, uh, and and just just completely, you know, uh, phallus blocked himself and and that clip of Joe Biden doing that where he can't give out his own website. Perfect. It, it, that almost that's almost a perfect copy of what happened to Bob Dole. Go ahead, Todd. You your turn. Uh, I Elizabeth Warren. I, I again. I got to give her respect. I mean, she was, we, we pretty much viewed her as done. We did. Because once you go joke, yeah. you go broke. That, that is a universal yeah. law of politics. Now, I have a theory as to why she has violated it so far, but I will let you finish. Well, and ahead. she's been a joke on multiple levels. There, there's the Pocahontas level, but then, you know, the beer thing. But she just decided. Well, look, Fortnite has joined us. How are you? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's brutal. <laughs> but to to just go full in on angry, cranky lady, and you know there was that pause. Even when like I think like the angel, the good angel on her shoulder right there, when she paused and she started talking about Trump, and she pauses and she and then she just threw the thing off her shoulder and says <laughs> racist. I mean, really, I, she's she's managed to do what is close to the impossible, and 
I, I don't know. I mean, she she's grading on every level. But when somebody just decides all in, you just got to tip your hat to them. I think she's their most likely nominee right now. And and the reason why I think that um, is is because the reason that she has overcome. I've, I've never seen anybody in either party become descend into self-parody. And, and I'm not, when I, when I talk about once you go joke, you go broke, I'm not talking about you becoming an object of mock or scorn about from your opponents. Everybody, particularly in this age of social media, ready, ready fire aimism, everybody is out for the quick troll. So, and, and, and more and more of the American people are becoming calloused to it. You know, it's not as effective as it even was a year or two ago. And it'll become increasingly less effective the more of it that we get exposed to. But when you become a joke with your intended audience, you know, Jeb Bush was done when the police clap video came out. Done. He was done. Never was recovering from that. I mean, the way that he became self-parody amongst his own intended audience, when you are self-parody to your own intended audience, once you go joke, you go broke. Please clap. She has, she's the first politician I've ever seen overcome this. And the, and the reason why is because the media on their side did it for her. They resurrected her. Uh, they, they decided that someone, had, they, they couldn't just unilaterally take out Bernie Sanders. They don't want him. He's old, white, straight, and he's a terrible packaging of candidate. And he's not a loyal Democrat. He caucuses with him when it's convenient to them. He's a carpetbagger on top of being cantankerous. And he, he makes the, the package they want to sell to the American people unsellable in his form. And so they made the decision that he's got to go. But the problem is you can't replace something with nothing. All right, so he's rallied up this whole base, right? If you're, if you're going to take him out, then you've got to provide, you, or you can't take him out unless you provide people an alternative for him in that same space. And so the media made the decision on their side that she was going to be that replacement because they were all mocking her for the Fortnite stuff and the beer stuff uh, six months ago too. That's, that's why we thought she was done. And then they made the decision, Bernie Sanders will blow this entire election. He'll blow all of our framing, all of our branding. He cannot be the nominee, but we can't take him out without an alternative. And we can't have Bernie Sanders one-on-one -on -one with Joe Biden on a stage where he's yelling at Joe Biden, I don't care what my plans cost. If you wouldn't have voted for all those damn wars, we'd have given health care to people. That will crush them, crush them as a party. So Bernie has to go now. For Bernie to go now, there must be an alternative. And it's her. And they've decided that she's the one that, that whose policy package best has the chance to move into that space. And she represents what I've been calling all week the softer side of Sears. And so she has come back from this because they made the decision, I believe, Todd, to resurrect her. Uh, I can't argue with anything. And this also helps that uh, they're... For you, for a joke to be resurrected, your your base on some level also has to be a joke. And they're, they are doing her a favor in, in, in identifying the fact that what you said yesterday, the two things that can't be true about Joe Biden, mm -hmm. that you, he cannot be their nominee if the base is genuinely left because the, genu the base is genuinely left and is genuinely a joke and has the propaganda arm of the media. It's why, That's the other reason, in my estimation, why a joke can be resurrected because of how far... Uh, the base has, in fact, gone left, and the degree they're willing to manipulate to get what they want. Aaron, you get the last word. Yeah, um, I, yeah. The basically nature abhors a vacuum uh, with with that at least that particular faction of the Democratic Party that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren appe uh, appeals to, and uh, I think she's headed more for um, more for Grandma Warren right now than out of touch 
uh, Ivy League or whatever uh, professor, university professor, which is kind of what she was stuck with before. As far as my favorite clip from that, uh, Jerry Nadler. Um, as always, the president is disgusting and racist. I love the pause in there. Like, oh yeah, I gotta get the, I gotta get the racist in. Everybody's saying racist again. I, I, uh, I really dig that because he's he's covering all covering all his bases, doing his job, getting all of his uh, Democrat talking points in there. That photo of Jerry Nadler with his pants pulled up. To that's his the way pecs. he always. That's the way he always wears. What them. in the Sam Hill is that? There must not be a dude code in the United States House of Representatives. There just must not be. Let's get to the exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being as limp as Lindsey Graham's T-level and 10 being as vigorous as Ilan Omar's raging anti-Semitism, rank this week's level of crazy, Todd. Eight. DC? Eight. Eight. Aaron? I'm going with a five. Another cranky millennial take. Look at the issue two, where things now stand in the Democratic race. We've got some new data that's out recently that measures some of these issues that came up where Democratic voters are, the folks who are going to vote in the primary versus where general election voters are. Just a point of clarification in 15 extra seconds, would you raise taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for all, uh, offset obviously by the elimination of insurance premiums, yes or no? Costs will go up for billionaires and go up for corporations for middle-class families costs total costs will go down this question of medicare for all without private insurance that was a major part of this debate tonight you see democratic voters more than two to one support this 64 percent support 31 percent opposed ask the same question to all americans general election voters the folks who vote in november very different story 41 percent say it's a good idea a majority 54 percent say it's a bad idea open borders is a right-wing talking point and frankly i'm disappointed uh, that some folks including some folks on this stage have taken the bait. The only way that we're going to guarantee that we don't have family separations in this country again is to repeal Section 1325 of the Immigration Nationality Act. We must be a country that every day lives our values, and that means you, we Senator cannot Warren. make it just a crime when someone Thank comes you, Senator. here. Senator, just to clarify, would you decriminalize yes. illegal border crossings? The point is not about criminalization. How about this one? How about decriminalizing border crossings? That obviously came up again tonight as it did the first debate. Democrats are split on this question. 45 support, 47 oppose. How about all voters, general election voters, overwhelming opposition on that, 27-66. But to answer your question, I happen to believe that when I talk about health care as a human right, that applies to all people in this country. And under a Medicare for all single payer system, we could afford to do that. This is national health insurance. Should there be a program that makes it available to undocumented immigrants? Again, among Democrats, basically two to one support for that proposition. 60 to 32 among general election voters, complete opposite. And one. Well, first of all, it's not $500 billion in financial assistance. It's $500 billion, 200 to $500 billion payment of a debt that is owed. That is what reparations is. More that came up late in the night, that question of reparations payments amongst Democrats, 46 support, 40% say bad idea among all voters. Again, 27-62. So as I assess their field, um, I'm going to give you one word on each of the candidates, and then I'm going to turn it over to you guys, and you can give your own kind of assessment of where their race stands, because we won't have any more of these debates now until after Labor Day, so well into September. 
one word on each of them. Biden, busted. Uh, Warren, crusader. Uh, Sanders, Soviet. Harris, craven. Uh, Booker, plastic. Gabbard, hot. Uh, Gillibrand, uh, which she's irrelevant, but the level of pathetic here ne needs to be noted. Pathetic. Uh, John Kasich called and said, self-awareness much. Uh, Buttigieg, troll. He's done his job now as the troll of the Christian, so he's fading. Uh, and the rest, irrelevant. Those are kind of my uh, big picture thoughts of where their field stands here after two full debates and some, what I'm hearing and seeing on the ground in Iowa, where opinions probably matter more than they do in any national poll. I turn it over to you, D.C., your thoughts. Well, I think the Democrats are definitely out of touch, which we saw from those pollings. I mean, it's complete opposite when you go to the rest of the country. Uh, as far as the candidates themselves, when it comes to the fall, they're not all going to be on the stage because they have to qualify actually to get up there. So we're mm -hmm. going to we're going to mm -hmm. miss Williamson next time. Uh, but as far as uh, who's going to be really successful, I think still um, Pete Buttigieg is still up there. I think that when you look at the donor class and the media and who excites them, it's not necessarily who excites the people on the ground. And the media really do, do they choose the uh, Democratic nominee. They do. And the donors. Todd, your thoughts? Well, uh, after the last debate, uh, you wrote a column. It was down to four at that point that were serious from a perspective of Iowa. Yeah, my I, view is only four candidates yeah. can be the nominee. Biden, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, uh, and uh, uh, Bernie Sanders. Those are the only four I think could actually be the nominee. I still think that's true uh, after this round. In my mind, uh, I, I agree with DC, and I don't think he's done yet for the reason she said, but Buttigieg does need to find a way, and I mentioned this yesterday. He's They, they want him there because he's gay. But if he's going to be there because he's gay, he's he's got to be gay, more gay. I mean, one way or the other, he's got to figure that out because that you're right about the trolling, Steve. That that's why he's there. He's got to serve that purpose. He's got whatever, however far he goes, even if he's not a legitimate candidate, but as a as a presence in the debate, he's got to ride that lightning bolt on some level. And so far. He uh, he hasn't, uh, and if he doesn't, he's clearly being going to be replaced, at least on, as a presence, uh, by Tulsi Gabbard uh, for a while. Who, again, I don't think is a legitimate uh, candidate in terms of being able to win now, but she is clearly a presence. That being said, uh, she's a presence in conservative media. No, I don't. I mean, I we're, she has to get above what two percent to be on that stage. In terms of the things people are looking at, I think that just needs to be recognized that um, it, there's a possibility there that does not exist with under candidates. Other than that, though, and this is something we've talked about off the air too, so it it's not some, it's not a plan we have. But Steve, Steve, and I are seeing this um, uh, Kamala Harris thing differently than a lot of people. Speaking of conservative media, I just don't I don't get how you've, you you she's finished. If it's just clickbait, or if you actually believe that she's not finished. She two debates ago just at the beginning of the summer she's polling at like five percent and after two debates she a uh, she takes uh, takes the uh, Obama's vice president and shows him his spleen and, and national media and then in the second debate she is treated by everybody as an obvious frontrunner that had to be taken out she took some shots yeah but she's she's not done she she has accomplished everything she needed to in terms of being in the conversation for the next chapter of this so I don't think people are looking at the big picture they're way too clickbaity on this she's not done. No, there's no, there's no question she was hurt by that, obviously. 
but because it, it was trending all day yesterday, the day after the debate. Agreed. But I mean, no one's stock is higher from where they were prior to the debates Correct. to where they are after these first two rounds. Her stocks has 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 now this th that exchange may have diminished how high it, of course it would it have did. even been of higher without that. Yes, but no one has improved their standing in the race more through these two debates in total uh, that than 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 she has. The the problem they have with Pete Buttigieg is you guys are both right. But the problem is they have to have over, they've got to have 92% of the black vote. And black America is oh, far more anti-gay marriage yep. than white America is. And it's not even close. And you're right on that. Yeah. All right. You nominate, you put him on a ticket, you nominate him. You, if, if you're going to see what it looks like if a Republican gets 10 or 15% of the black vote for the first time since before the great society in 1964, you're going to see that. All right. I mean, he's polling at zero among black voters. You want a dirty little secret? No, I don't care. I'll tell you. You want to know why Cory Booker can't get more than 3%? Because he's the Lindsey Graham of the Democratic Party. There's all kinds of rumors out there about his sexuality. And that's why he can't rally his own. He can't rally what would be his own native base. Because they're just, that, ain't gonna, that dog ain't a hunt in, in black America. It just, it just isn't. Okay, so that's the problem you have. So I totally agree with you. The white progressives on these cable networks would love it. And they'd really love it if Pete Buttigieg was a U.S. senator and a governor and not mayor of some armpit town in the middle of Indiana. All right. But the problem you have, if you if you if you nominate him or put him on a national ticket, maybe that won't be the case 10 years from now. I don't know. But if you want to know what it would look like to just hand 10 to 20 percent of black voters over to the Republican Party, that would do it. Actually, Aaron, your thoughts. Yeah, I think there's only two people left in the uh, in the race who have a legitimate shot at uh, winning the nomination. I think that's Elizabeth Warren and uh, Kamala Harris right now. Elizabeth, and we've been over this, I think, a couple times already in this first half hour, but Elizabeth Warren seems to be soaking up the oxygen out of the area that used to be inhabited by Bernie Sanders. So I think at least for that faction of the Democratic Party, uh, that's that's actually going to um, that's going to uh, benefit her quite a bit and continue to do so as we move along. And then Kamala Harris, simply because she seems to be actually running a typical campaign, a typical campaign, meaning triangulation. We're going to flip flop. We actually have a strategy and mm -hmm. we're just that craven. Yep. So I think that's I think those two are. And th there's also the intersectionality piece with. Um, Elizabeth Warren, but to a, a greater extent, Kamala Harris as well. And I really just think, I mean, Joe Biden standing up there saying, go to three, Joe, three, zero, three, three, zero. Yeah. He was trying to say, text the word Joe to three, zero, three, three. Like he is just, if we have more moments like that, more debates like we have the last couple of times, he just doesn't, he doesn't yeah. have a shot. And he's in a forum where this should be to his advantage. He's up there with a bunch of candidates. He can hide, pick his spots. A lot of them are people people don't know. His, I mean, the part that's going to be hard for him when he's got to go for an hour and a half against the other the other far leftists that are younger and more aggressive and want to use him as their foil. We haven't even gotten to that part yet. And the other reason that I think Elizabeth, I think Kamala Harris is the strongest candidate they could nominate for all the reasons Aaron just said. I think she's the only one shameless enough uh, to stand up to Trump. Uh, and I'm not saying she could even do it, but I think she's she's the only one I see has any kinds of those that any kinds of those instincts. The reason why I think Elizabeth Warren is most likely to be the nominee, the strong organization she has in Iowa, she's rated a lot of Bernie Sanders as a successful organization here back in 2016, and then 
neighboring New Hampshire is next, where she is a senator in Massachusetts. So you've got a couple of East Coast candidates. Obviously, Joe Biden is a neighbor to that state. Bernie Sanders is. But if, if Elizabeth Warren were to win Iowa, the odds she wins New Hampshire go, go way up. And in their truncated schedule, if she wins those first two states, odds of her being the nominee go over 90%, I believe. That's why I think it's most likely she's going to be their nominee. But I could be wrong. It's only August the 2nd. Let's get to the exit question. If the odds Joe Biden will be the Democrats' presidential nominee were a monkey's song, which monkey's song would it be? A, I'm a believer. B, daydream believer. Or C, step in stone. What do you think, Todd? Daydream believer. Daydream believer. What do you think, DC? No, I'm a believer. You still think he's going to be the nominee? <laughs> okay. He thinks he's going to be the nominee. Okay, he, th- he thinks he is. Yes. <laughs> what do you think, Aaron? Uh, daydream believer. Yeah, I... I, I think it's daydream believer, but it's it's descending into stepping stone. I mean, you saw it in this last debate where everybody's like, dude, I can I'm gonna make my bones off of this yep. weak ass old man. All right. Everybody's looking to get a and, and and finally after, you know, there was literally no flesh left on the bone, uh Gillibrand comes in. And gets punked by a lifeless Joe Biden at the end who can't remember texting or or, or websites. But I, I could see it descend into that. I think we're we're we are approaching Jeb Bush territory. All right, we'll come back. More of the Dace Group Roundtable here next, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. You know, a low credit score can keep you from getting a lot of the things you want in life, um, like a credit card, uh, a car, a home, maybe even a new job as more and more employers are checking your credit rating these days. And then if you do get approved, if you got a low score, you'll get stuck with a lot higher interest rates than people with better scores do. And sometimes you have no idea uh, why your credit score is so low. That's why you want to take a look at creditrepair.com. You call the specialists there and they can help you work to repair your credit and improve your score by removing inaccurate negative items like late fees, charge-offs, even uh, collections and bankruptcies. Here's the number for your free credit evaluation. It's 800-501-3199. That's 1-800-501-3199. And when you call, you'll get a free credit report uh, and score, and you'll find out what creditrepair.com can do to improve it. And you can decide from there uh, if you you want to enlist their help. But the credit report and score are free at 800-501-3199, available for everybody other than those in Georgia, Mississippi, Ohio, and South Carolina, 800-501-3199, or you can just visit their website, creditrepair.com. Again, that's creditrepair.com. All right, back here to our weekly look at the week that was. It is the Dace Group, Steve Dace, Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and DC McAllister. Uh, Let's get to issue three. In this case... Justin Amash is right. Congressman Justin Amash popped off on Twitter this week regarding the disconnect between conservative advocacy groups, Donald Trump, and Congress. He said, 
Ostensibly conservative organizations keep sending emails rightly slamming Republicans in Congress for the disastrous budget deal, while wrongly giving a pass to President Trump, who negotiated, pushed, and will sign the bill into law. As long as the president faces no political consequences for growing government, Republicans in Congress will stick with him, and fiscal conservatism is dead. If you want to revive it, then you must hold President Trump accountable, just as you would anyone else in D.C. So... I understand for several of you right now, he might not be the ideal vehicle uh, for such a message. But just as we said when we came in here on Monday, you may not like Donald Trump being the person pointing out that Baltimore is a rat-infested asshole. It doesn't make it any less true, right? Right. So the, 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 it applies here with, with, with the comments that Justin is making as well. As someone who has worked with and knows a lot of the people that are in these various groups— I, I I can probably tell you why this is the case. In fact, if you go through conservative media right now, I saw it in my feed when I got up this morning. It's like Mitch McConnell can it unilaterally and and do I like Mitch McConnell? Guys, you've worked Negatory. with me for a few years. What do you think? Are we buds, chums? I think you call him Ditch. Yeah, I think as I indicated many times here on the air, if you were on fire, I'd spare my urine. Okay, uh, I'd, I'd withhold it. I'd, I'd just pee somewhere else. Okay, so. But but it's like he can he has the power to unilaterally enact budgets. Like he can just do it all. There's, there's not a house. There's not a president. It's like he, now is this his deal? Of course it is. And and when you say things like no Republican president ever didn't get reelected for spending too much money, and when you are known as the guy who basically went out and tried to single handedly destroy the Tea Party, um, you earn that mantle. But it's like he's doing this all on his own. It's like he can just, if you look at a lot of our media right now, it's like he is empowered to do this entire budget single-handedly from the United States Senate, right? Right. Okay, well, here's why these groups don't do this. They don't believe that they're, do you guys want me to tell you the truth? At least as far as I, as, as far as I can tell. These folks don't believe there's any audience for holding Trump accountable. They don't believe that their bases will respond to it. And I'll give you an example. They, they tried in January and, and February of 2017 the first fake repeal Obamacare deal that Paul Ryan cut. And the president was out there supporting it because Paul Ryan told him this was the only deal he could get. And there was a rebellion against it. And the Freedom Caucus rebelled against that deal. And I, don't, I know several members of the Freedom Caucus. So let me tell you what was going on in their offices. They were rebelling against Paul Ryan's fake deal that Trump was supporting that had no had was not going to repeal anything in Obamacare at all. And their offices were inundated with phone calls from people who were like, why aren't you helping Trump repeal Obamacare? And they were like, we're not repealing it. We're actually trying to do it. It was mass confusion out there. And from that episode on, these conservative organizations, and I'm not even, I don't associate with the grifter side. I'm talking people who are like really trying to push conservative policy. They, have, they, they believe because of that precedent, there's no audience or clamor within their own base for the holding of Trump accountable. And they know that their base hates GOP leadership unconditionally. So they know that they have latitude to push back against GOP leadership like McCarthy, you know, before that, Ryan, and now McConnell, Cornyn et al. They know they have latitude to push back against them because their base hates them. But they don't believe their base will put up with them pushing back on Trump on any level. And instead, they'll get calls and emails uh, from people canceling checks and not, not clicking on bait and saying, why are you helping the Democrats win? I promise you that's what they believe. So that's, that's whether or not that's true or not remains to be seen. 
But that's why they're not doing what Amash says. So I, now that I've kind of given, you know, what I, my version of Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story, I'll turn it over to the rest of you. Aaron, you get to go first this time. Go ahead, sir. Part of this is understandable. I mean, the, some, of the, some of these organizations are the same ones that told their, uh, the, the same base that they had to vote for um, nominee McCain, that they had to vote for nominee uh, Romney. And then finally, when the, somebody uh, comes in and actually uh, eats the proverbial chicken uh, sandwich from Chick-fil-A, like Donald Trump, just you get the analogy. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to hear, and rightfully so. It's like, guys, lay off him. I don't care. Choke, choke on it uh, for better or worse. He's our guy. Um, and you know what? He irritates all the people that uh, we would like to see irritated. So, you know, at the end of the day, if he does stuff right or if he does stuff wrong, you know what? Choke on it or enjoy it. Uh, so you kind of understand it. I'm talking about the base of these groups outside of, of what we call the Trump cult that are just, uh, you know, four-dimensional. Everything is four-dimensional chess and uh, everything is the greatest all the time, no matter what. I'm talking about the rest of America, who honestly probably doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of time to um, to to really uh, be super engaged with some of these issues. They just know, you know what, Trump ticks off the same people that I want to be ticked off, and uh, you know what, the rest is the rest is uh, l let the chips fall where they may. So you kind of understand it. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's that's uh, necessarily wrong either. But that's just, I think, the that's just the the environment on the right side of the aisle. What's left of America, that is what it is. And I wish I, I wish there was an audience to hold Trump accountable. We'd be miles and maybe even light years. Especially, I used to think he light, would respond to it. He would respond to it because I, he's and a I think we'd be uh, light years <laughs> beyond uh, where we are and what he's already done. But uh, unfortunately, that's just that is just the environment. Todd, what are your thoughts? Well, not only is Amash right about this, but Trump deserves this. I mean, he's he's the one who said the first time around, I'll never sign a budget like this again. And so, you know, here here we are. I mean, this he, one's he, even worse. We're going to erase he, the debt well, ceiling altogether for which two is full what, years. You know, yeah. he shouldn't be passively just waiting for something on this one because he set a line. Now he should have been right out of the gate enforcing that line. But obviously, uh, Ditch and company weren't uh, taking him uh uh, seriously, that's frustrating. Uh, as for Republicans, it's not just because there's not an audience, although that's partly there, but also these Republicans, they're, they're scared of Donald Trump. The, the, uh, Amash clearly isn't, and that's to his credit. What, uh, there's a lot of people out there who are just afraid it's going to boomerang back on them. He's going to call them uh, stupid, dummy, any number of things. They're 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 going to hate that spotlight. They're not going to know how to respond. Uh, so th they just decide uh, to keep whatever powder they have uh, dry, and they're never ever going to use it against uh, Donald, even when he a deserves it or b just using it. I mean, some a form of tough love. Like, hey man, I'm in your camp. I've tried this way. I've tried You've this way. You've seen Ted Cruz do this this yeah. week on. When he's when he has seen the administration going soft on on some of the uh, Iran deals, yeah. most uh, the things they got out of, and and they're kind of there's elements within the Trump administration they're kind of gently and softly trying to reinsert some of the pillars of the deal that Trump got us out of. You've seen Cruz go right after that and point that out, go right at the president, and say, "Hey, I don't think you're you're being served here by your own State Department. Are you aware of this? Are you going to do something about right. this?" That's an example of what you're talking about, and we don't have many of those examples. DC, you get the last word here. Go ahead. 
Well, three points. One, I don't remember the last time we had fiscal conservatism. So no. if you can remind there, there's that. There's that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, besides, In fact, that, I had to I, Google it. After reading that Amash tweet, I had to Google it, actually. So thanks for reminding me of that. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're up. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, let, let's keep things in perspective as far as what the whole party's been doing. Secondly, the environment, you, you all are correct. I mean, it's, it's very pro-Trump because we live in such a polarized electorate. Uh, but there are two things that you can do that these groups should do is one do their opposition to trump gently and respectfully and make you know sound arguments if you just come out in a nasty way you're not going to be heard but also i think that they need to be a little bit more clever on the front end and and get in touch with trump because trump is really rather pragmatic and if you can make a case to him that something works uh, then he he will go that way so i think that there needs to be more efforts to be in communication with him and affect him and influencing him before he makes these decisions and and build networks behind the scenes with his people. I mean, this is hard work instead of just doing everything, you know, through social media, through the media or on the back end um, and trying to rally everyone, you know, the, the crowd for him or against him, uh, actually do some communication and build those networks to try to influence him beginning. Those are good points. Let's get to the exit question. The last balanced budget that was passed by Congress and signed into law. Now, we're not counting the deficits, all right? We haven't been without deficits, you know, in like decades, okay? Even further more decades than this. I'm talking just that year's operating budget had a surplus. The last time a, a, a budget, a balanced budget was passed by Congress and signed into law was for fiscal year 2001 by then-President Bill Clinton the last year that he was in office. And that was with a GOP Congress at the time. Again, that doesn't include existing deficits. You can send, save your emails. I'm acknowledging that. I'm trying to take like baby steps here, okay? That was 19 years ago. Will we ever see a balanced budget again, Todd? Forget by, the deficits, a balanced budget. By ever, do you mean just while we're living and breathing, you and I, or? Will, will we see, will or, we see? Yeah, in us, our lifetimes. In will our we, lifetimes, Will we okay. witness it? Will we see that? I don't yeah. think in our lifetimes, probably. Aaron? No. <laughs> what do you think dc we'd need a law passed to make it happen yeah especially if you're going to continue to be a, as a balkanized country there's there's far less incentive for anybody on either side to come up with any form of accommodation on anything uh when you're going to continue to descend into a cold civil war issue four is masculinity dying yes this happened just last weekend Ladies and gentlemen, Booga sits atop his throne, far and away, in first place. The battle bus has launched one more time. The Fortnite World Cup Finals ends right here. Running low on materials, but he still wants more. Four limbs in this game. Box set up for a moment. Pyramid comes through. Booga. Still alive, shots going down, can't connect with that one. One build left, the final moment of Fortnite World oh Cup. Oh my gosh. Bow Drop. down, Surprise. bow down to Booga. Doesn't even matter, four players, three players remaining. It's a fight out for the victory royale in game six. Two a left. 1v1. Crew still in it, T-Chub as well, back and forth. And it might come down to a heel off. T-Chub dropping down those campfires. <laughs> we'll see here, Crew following it all the way in and T-Chub goes down. But ladies and gentlemen, there's no way anyone beats him. Your four
I might take issue with that because I can come up with a lot better examples than that. Um, I mean, we were the video game generation. We have one of our buddies win $3 million for having the highest score in Mike Tyson's punch out. Would that kid have been the coolest kid at school? for like the rest of the school year. Hell yeah. He would have been if a kid remember how we used to get spoons out for the NES track and field game so We could run faster. If we had a kid that had the highest score on that when they were 12, 13, we'd have lost our poop over that. We'd have thought that was the coolest thing ever. Right? But, well, There's a difference uh, between a, a di- pastime and a pursuit. This is becoming yeah, a pursuit. Yeah, but they're monetizing it. This isn't, this isn't dude in his, be- in his mom's basement, you know, who's 28 years old. And the average 28-year-old male in America, by the way, is more likely to be living with a parent than married with a, to a woman with a kid. That's a fact. This isn't 28-year-old guy at home in a basement playing this all day all day long. These kids have turned this into a pursuit. I mean, that kid won $3 million. The, one, the, a kid my son's age won more money, 900 grand, than I've made yeah. total in this business. But football was not dying as a sport at yeah, the high school level. 50 years ago, age, 50 years it, ago, it is now. We 50 are, years ago, football. Why you waste your time playing football and not uh, learn how to yeah. share crop? I mean, why are you wasting your time well, playing that baseball game? No one goes pro doing that. You know what I mean? Why aren't you learning how to you know, be a blacksmith? I mean, well, I, I, don't, I, I think there's a million better examples we could have chosen, but okay. There's different examples. I, I mean, yeah, I don't think we should get too far away from the point of it. But it, yeah, I mean, masculinity is absolutely threatened. If, I mean, right now, though, there are guys that are choosing. They would, we did both. Now, these guys, most of them are choosing. How many of those guys are playing football? That we don't Significant, know. I don't, I don't know well, the answer. I'm guessing you're probably right, but we I'm, don't know that. I'm certain. Okay. I'm right on that. And it's absolutely uh, in jeopardy for any number of uh, a combination of reasons. But the most one resp- is us. It's men giving up on our call to masculine. W- women can't do this to us. Just And I think the same is true in reverse. Men just can't make women not be feminine. We have to own it, and we're not. DC, your turn. What do you think? You got a book coming out that, that probably ties right into this topic, right? It does. It's what men want to say to women but can't, and it's available on pre-order on Amazon. So it is about this issue. It's about masculinity. It's about celebrating masculinity. Masculinity. It's about what it what it is and what it isn't and why we do need it and why it's under threat. I don't think it's dying, but it is under threat. And per the video clip, what's interesting, though, I think technology, we, we leave out how technology has undermined masculinity just by its mere existence. We don't we live to soft. We live a much softer lifestyle. And anytime you live in leisure, you're not going to need those masculine strengths that you typically mm-hmm. would in times of survival. So there's just some, you know, just natural consequence for the yes. kind of life that we have, the technological advancements. Um, it makes me think of those star, that Star Trek episode where you had the uh, super advanced civilization and they were super, super weak. They had no body strength, but they had these really big brains, but they were worthless. Um, you know, you kind of have this, uh, this technological aspect. Then you have the feminism aspect about how you raise boys. And that's a problem. So you have kind of a, a, con- a convolution of uh, uh, problems here when it comes to masculinity. But what's interesting with the gamers, though, is that while they're not maybe looking and emoting and acting physically like a masculine way, the most conservative people in the millennial generation are gamer men, gamer boys, 
Uh, so while they're maybe not looking like it, they're actually voting and principled wise more masculine than than our football players. They're actually they're they're competing at least. That's to me the most masculine. There's 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 three mass. There's three instincts that are unique to masculinity. Um, the the desire to protect, the desire to defend, and the desire to compete. Now, you can be a woman and have all three of those things at various times as well, but those are the basic default settings of masculinity. The desire to protect, the desire to defend, and the desire to compete or achieve, right? And provide. Yeah. I would have to provide. What's that? Provide. It's yeah, very provide is, yes. Yeah. That, well, and a lot of men view that as part of a competitive instinct, right? That's why, hey, that's why football players say, why am I not the number one paid wide receiver, for example? But yeah, you're 100%. I agree with that. Um, when, when I see stories like the, the tweet you sent me yesterday, Aaron, where the guy said he had to break up with his dad because his dad was posting Babylon B satire articles, that's to me... The death of masculinity stuff. You you suck at life in general, and would do us all a favor and w- by by seriously considering ever procreating until you spend some more time with your old man. Actually, I'm more afraid of that kind of stuff. Or the term toxic masculinity. See, I don't believe any such thing exists. I think there's I think there's only masculinity. Wow, that that commercial break came up here quickly. Did you know we only had thirty seconds left? Well, I was I was wondering where where we were going with this. I'm not sure what you want me to say at this juncture. Uh, well. <laughs> like, are you trying to pin this on me or? Start your manhood there, Aaron. DC, can we keep you for a couple seconds? Can, do you mind? Oh, absolutely. All right, we'll come back and finish this up. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, we are back with our number two live and on demand here on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Let's finish up. I don't want to make her wait any longer than we already did. We ran out of time in the last hour. Let's finish up uh, the dangling participles uh, and uh, the, 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 the plot holes that we left in the previous hour on the Dace Group Roundtable. Uh, we were finishing up with the topic about masculinity. I was explaining why I don't believe there's any such thing as toxic mas- masculinity. I think the term in and of itself is an attempt to diminish masculinity, which is why there's no such thing in our culture as toxic femininity. Okay, that that and and you can spare me lectures because I grew up with an abusive dad. I know what it's like to get beaten at home. That wasn't toxic masculinity. It was devoid of masculinity. That was a wounded, damaged sinner who needed uh, healing in Christ. And because he didn't have that. He uh, imposed his woundedness and damagedness on us. What masculinity does is it comes in and it actually protects and defends those who are being oppressed that way. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. But since you're the, you're the one female here that has seen this argument in a unique way we cannot possibly understand as men, and you've got a book along the lines of this topic coming out, DC, I wanted to give you the last word. Go ahead. No, absolutely. As a woman, and and, and per your story, I, I've also seen men behaving badly in, in all kinds of different ways. I mean, I could name them, many of them, but it's bad men. It's not 
toxic masculinity. And what we have is we can have immature masculinity because masculinity is something that you grow into and are trained to. And we don't have men raising up boys to be the men that they should be. That's a problem in our society. But this toxic masculinity is undermining real masculinity. And actually, the, the language is changing. I don't know if you've noticed with um, the APA, they're now just simply calling it traditional masculinity, that that's bad. That we need to get rid mm-hmm. of traditional mm-hmm. mas- we need to get rid of traditional masculinity and now have egalitarian masculinity because the real problem if you're wondering why men are under attack it's because of the love affair that the left has with equality of outcomes. If you're going to live with equality of outcomes and if that is your goal of equality, you are not going to be able to compete with people who are not the same as you or who are better at things or stronger or just different. You have to reduce them. Women have tried for years to be like men. They have failed. If you've noticed, they have failed. It has frustrated them. They don't have the same equality of outcomes as men. So their only option now is to change men, to feminize men, to bring men to their level and to become same like like they are. And that's the um, underlining philosophical opposition to masculinity that we have today. It's very serious and we need to be very aware of it and oppose it in every form. I'm glad you stuck around because our audience needed to hear you, you say that. Very well said. Let's finish out the day's group uh, with our predictions. Aaron. All right, uh, AFC North. This is the Cleveland Browns time. It's their year. They're going to finish in first place. I think second place will be Baltimore. Third place will be uh, Pittsburgh, who will start out really hot, but then fade down the stretch. And then fourth place will be Cincinnati. Todd. Uh, because progressive... Uh progressivism can't help itself and all my predictions came true about uh various platforms uh attacking uh uh conservative sites we just mentioned about life site uh this is going Tulsi gabbard google this is going to be a date debate topic a significant one in this presidential cycle on stage dc another celebrity is going to come out and say something that's common sense and they'll be threatened to lose their job and they'll recant within the day so, again. so Joe Rogan, who has like the number one podcast in the world right now, uh, uh, just addressed this. Apparently, we have an article up at the Blaze about it. Uh, what happened with uh, with AC Slater, saying that there, you know, he doesn't understand from a scientific perspective, someone's frontal lobe isn't fully developed until they're about twenty five. Why would we be giving therefore children hormone treatments? Okay. Yeah, we're we're actually worried in public schools about sending them to school too early because they need their nappy time. Yes. But the three year old gets to decide. This. So there's an example, you know, and he now he's about to learn that you know science and facts are bigoted, and we'll see if Joe Rogan has balls that obviously Mario Lopez did not. But what I find fascinating about that is, at the time we are we are in uh, we are adopting conservative trans activists. So we have conservative mental illness now on the right. You have Joe Rogan who's just looking at science and he's like, this is dumb. Okay. Which leads to my prediction next year. I really don't want to be right about this. I just, I sadly think I'm going to next year. We're going to see a social media sensation of conservative trans activists shilling for Trump all over social media. Some grifter, some opportunist, is going to is going to throw this out there. And then we're going to have a huge debate about well, you know, we don't want to be bigots because why why do I think I'm going to see this because I've I've seen it on virtually every other front actually. All right. DC, thank you for being patient. It was a pleasure having you with us as always. Take care, okay?
You too. Thanks. All right. Thank you. All right. Let's try to get caught up and back to regular order. Um, if you are looking to dip all the way in uh, to the real estate market here this time of year, and the real estate market is booming right now. Now, I don't know about your neighborhood or where you're looking to, to maybe shop for a new home or the neighborhood you live in that you're going to sell your own. In mine, we've got all kinds of yard signs up and from even some new real estate companies. Now, are they just moving in because the market is good? Are they not necessarily on the up and up? Are they opportunists? Hey, if you want to find a real estate agent that you can trust, you want to go to realestateagentsitrust.com. All right. Now, th this works differently than other referral services. The way most referral services work is they're trying to find clients for agents. But at realestateagentsitrust.com, this is really about finding an agent worthy of having you for a client, all right? And an agent that has a proven track record that has a plan other than I read the algorithms and let's do an open house and returns phone calls and is personable to work with. You can have a rapport with. If you want to have an agent that you can trust that checks all three of those boxes, then you wish to go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, gentlemen, um, I want to make a point about something. I'll get to that a little bit later on in this hour. All right, but let, let's get to some feedback Friday because my fear is if I go to the point I want to make, I'll skimp out on feedback Friday. I want to make sure we get to the feedback I'm, first. I'm certain. We <laughs> <laughs> right. So we, let's get the, the people get their turn first. Yes. Okay. So this is uh, the feedback that you've been sending to us recently, one of three ways, steve at stevedace.com or on Facebook, or you have been following us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. This is from Derek, who says, I'm, I'm constantly hearing the sentiment that politics is the art of compromise. Well, I must confess that I'm increasingly not interested in compromising at all with the regressive left's positions on policies. I see their positions as evil or at least seriously flawed when it comes to basic logic, reason, and historical accuracy. To get the point, let's look at some of their positions, like abortion. Why would I want to co compromise on the sanctity of life even a little? How is someone kind of dead, kind of alive? On gun rights, why would I want to compromise my inalienable right to self-defense, even a little? On my property, why would I want to be forced by a legislature to give up more of my income for their pet projects, even a little? Etc. It seems to me that we could and have compromised our values and hard-earned income enough. Why not draw the line and state you shall not pass? Well, Derek, I have good news for you. Given where the left in America is at now, we don't have to even have this debate on the right anymore. Derek, you're restating in a very pithy, eloquent way. Uh, you, really, you have summed up what has been an, one of the overriding themes of this program since it began as a local radio show in Des Moines, Iowa on June 12, 2006. You guys have listened to a lot of those shows over the years and worked on them. Do you think Derek just kind of just, that's, that, that's one of the main elevator pitches, other than the worldview focus of sure. our show. Sure. Derek kind of just summed up one of the main plot lines of this program for, you know, more than 12, more oh, than 13 right. years now, right? I was overcome with nostalgia listening right. to him. The good news is we don't have to have those debates anymore. They're irrelevant because Democrats aren't compromising with you on any level whatsoever. Right. So, it, it, I mean, Republicans are just up there compromising and negotiating against themselves. You'll get nothing and like it. They're out to defeat you. You're, you're in a full-fledged now cold civil war. So your instincts are right, Derek. They're, they're just right now pointless because there's no one to compromise with. There's no articul There's no side to work across the aisle on behalf of. Yeah, they don't compromise with bigots like you. Yeah. No, they want to end you. So you're right, 
and you've summed up a lot of the the the, the conversations I've had on this show with myself, audiences, GOP leaders on, on a state, local, and national basis for many, many years, but we're beyond that point now. We, we are at the point of you will be made to care, bake the cake, bigot, and you hate women if after the baby is born, you don't want to snuff it out of its own misery. I mean, there, there's no attempt to compromise. It's open borders or nothing. There is no compromising taking place. It, it, this is an invading force. And they've launched their invasion and you will either defeat them or they will defeat you. There, there will be no accommodation. Let's go to this one from Glenn Dunbar. He says, I'm not a man of great faith or religious conviction. However, having listened to your show for many years, I have welcomed and transitioned in my life to more of a Christian ethic and the adopting of a biblical value system, including in regards to the sanctity of life for the unborn. I understand, given where you have come from, being born to a 15-year-old mom, he means, having been blessed with life as the son of a teenage mom, that you would choose, to, you would, who, or, who chose to give you life, why you were so passionate and fight so hard for the pro-life cause. However, I cannot understand how in the unthinkable event that one of your daughters was to be violently raped by some evil, disgusting demon of a man, that you would insist that she carry the child of that scum in her womb with the associated physical risks of pregnancy and childbirth and then raise the progeny of that demon as a constant reminder of the horrendous ordeal she experienced in the vile monster who violated her. As the father of two daughters myself, could you please talk me through how you would deal with this scenario, particularly as it applies not to the life of the innocent child, but to the life of your daughter? Again, that is from Glenn Dunbar. So Glenn, I have a key... Um, uh, a, a key strain, you know, my wife's done a lot of um, genealogy in the past for our, our family. She was on a major genealogy kick a few years ago. And, and one of the things she discovered is that um, our family line would have ended. The line that ultimately led, you know, to her and, to her and I would have ended a long time ago because of an act of incestual rape. And there were attempts to end that pregnancy, primitive at the time, that were not completed, and that child ended up being born. And is a direct descendant of how what would later become, many years later, become known as the Dace family, including the three children Amy and I have today, Anastasia, Zoe, and Noah, none of that would have occurred if that pregnancy would have been ended. So when we talk about exceptions, and my, my, my family has all of those exceptions. Now, I happen to believe rape ought to be a capital offense. But it ought to be a capital offense for the rapist. You and I, this is where I think you're going to have a real difficult time understanding this without a fully-fledged biblical worldview. Because your argument makes a lot of sense without it. It does. But when a, a fully formed, integrated biblical worldview comes into play here and says to you, you were born into sin. 
You were born an enemy of God. You were allowed to be born. Someone raised you and took care of you and birthed you despite all of the times you would disappoint them, despite great sins that you would go on to commit. And knowing all of those things, you were given an opportunity to live by your heavenly father. And then knowing all of the things you would do to disappoint him. He sent his son to earth to die for you, to have eternal life. And I could make scientific arguments. I could make arguments that are practical, like in, in any other format, would we advocate for the executing of the children of criminals? And the answer would be no. But having debated this issue numerous times, with limited exceptions, those arguments in many cases won't work for people. They just won't. Because minus the full integrated knowledge of who we really are, sinners deserving of nothing, nothing, all capable of committing great acts of unspeakable evil against one another and committing unspeakable violations of God's law for which we do not deserve forgiveness. Minus recognition of that, a culture is going to have, even one that finds abortion as a practice generally as abhorrent, is going to struggle to come to the conclusion to avoid the conclusions that you have come to. But I would ask you, do you believe your children should be punished for your crimes? Do you believe your your children should be punished for your sins? Do you believe your grandchildren should be? We can't lay aside the innocence of, of the unborn child, Glenn, because in an earthly sense, it's innocent. It didn't do anything wrong. It's not guilty of anything. But I can understand, Glenn, why you would want to leave it aside. It, it, and I even understand why it makes sense. And I, and I think it's, that's going to make sense to a lot of people unless they truly understand their place in the universe, who they really are, what they really deserve, and what God has really and truly offered them in spite of all of those things. You're going to have a hard time seeing it that way without accepting those truths. You guys want to add anything else to that? Yeah, can you read back his first sentence or two, how he leads off, just because I don't want to mischaracterize it. I'm not a man of great faith or religious okay, conver- yeah. conviction. However, having listened to you for many years, I've welcomed yep. a transition in right. my life to a more Christian ethic. It, it, it's, it's wonderful, uh, but you are describing um, Jesus talking to the man. Man came up to him and said, Lord, I, I did this. I believe this. I said this. I this. And, but he saw the Lord, of course. He's the last thing that all of us are clutching. And he says, now go give away all that you have. And the guy's like, oh, damn. And he took off. 
you you you're you're on a road and a good one and the fact that you're asking that question is a good sign is a good is a good sign yeah uh but you like all of us are clutching something and you have a ways to go if you saw yesterday's show uh i i wanted you to tap into it once again our conversation uh with uh beckett cook he said he he had that moment this Holy Spirit, he felt it rush through his life, changed his eyes, his ears, and everything. But you know what it did? He didn't stop liking guys. That that part is still there. But he said, I'm okay. He uh, Because part of that, Faith, is the abandonment that you give to everything. And you're struggling with abandoning yourself to this thing. As Steve says, it's understandable that you're struggling with, mm-hmm. but it's still a struggle that you need to own. Because faith is by its very definition is Christ conquers this. It has to. Otherwise, all of us got to ask ourselves some hard questions about, you know, is this, this, this is some pretty cheap grace. Sooner or later, it runs out of an ability to conquer evil. No, it conquers this evil too. And as you continue to go down that road and applying what you said is the moral framework, we, I just ask you, Keep going. It's it, it's not always easy. You're not just going to get there tomorrow because of anything we said there today. But uh, I, I, Steve is uh, absolutely right. It's not a, it, faith. If you are willing to follow it where it goes, must conquer this. It has to see because here's here's the thing that that a fully integrated biblical worldview will cause you to 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 consider from a different vantage point. That are, that child can bring you no joy, no reward, can contribute nothing to the world. Nothing. I mean, what if, what if, what if that daughter of yours who was raped can never have children ever again after that? I mean, the amount of women who need post-abortive counseling, who have guilt and shame about committing that act under any circumstances for, for years. So now there's the mental anguish. I can't even imagine being violated on such a personal level that, that you're going to have to, that'll be a struggle you'll have to tackle at some point, maybe the rest of your life, even after God has made you whole, you'll always have that, like you said about Mr., uh, the, the, the gentleman we had on yesterday, that, that, that's still there somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And now you want to tack on the guilt and shame associated with ending um, the life of an innocent being on top of that? I don't know how that makes the situation any better. But that child can't contribute anything. What if, what if God would have looked at you and said, you know what, man, I, I see your future right now because I'm outside of space and time. And you're going to lie and cheat. You're going to cheat on your wife, your girlfriend. I mean, you're, you're going to commit vehicular homicide 10 years from now and you don't even know this yet. And it won't even be your fault, man. You were backing out of a driveway and some kid on a bike came streaming past you without looking. Tragedy. Your life totally changes for nothing you had anything to do with. What if God looked at all of those things as that you were going to voluntarily or involuntarily be a part of, that we're going to harm others and just said, you know what, you're not really worthy of of bringing into this world. You You can't provide, you can't be defined by anything other than that. See, we won't look at things like that. We just won't. We, we can't do it in our own flesh. We can't do it in our own carnality. We can't. Not until we come to a true realization of who we really are, what we truly deserve, and then what we don't. And then, and then what God gives us, never, offers us nevertheless. I, I think without recognition of those things, we just won't 
even look at vantage points like that. Aaron, you want to talk about this at all? I would just encourage him um, that this uh, this issue uh, for, for him, as it sounds like, and along the lines of what Todd said, every single heresy, every single sin, every single sin, both big and small, every single sin that I commit, that Steve commits, that Todd commits, that anybody listening to this commits, stems from... Um, from a poor view of God, a poor, and I, I say poor, that's, that's not a, a strong enough word. Uh, it, you could even use a rejection of God, because every time we sin, we're saying, I'm God, and, and you are not. Every time that we decide that, yes, I think in this circumstance, it's okay for me to sin, we're deciding, we're, we're really making the, the decision and asking ourselves, did God really say? So I just want to encourage you that you're, you're even though that sounds severe, you, Keep working out, like we said yesterday about Beckett Cook. It's a guy working out his faith with fear and trembling. Keep doing that, but always, always, always. And I say this to myself. I say this to others as well. Always doubt your own motivations for why you see things the way that you do. Because we, our, our heart is uh, inexorably, hearts as human beings are inexorably corrupt but it's only by the grace of God that we can actually, and the grace of and God working through us, that we can actually um, do good or, or believe rightly and stand before um, God rightly. And so I, all that is to say, all that is to say that um, always keep working out your faith with fear and trembling. That means understanding and really, truly understanding and knowing who you are, as you said, Steve, our place in the universe um, always, always have a, a, a huge view. We're not going to be able to do it perfectly, but work on your view of God and who he is. Everett writes, why does the left love victimizing people? Reparations imply that certain people are victims, never mind who they really are as individuals. The left makes many groups uh, into vic- makes every group into some kind of victim group. I assume that everything the radical left does is for the downfall of Western civilization. So how is marking up all of these victim groups helping them to achieve that goal? You are correct. This is about undoing Western civilization. You nailed that. So... What you have to do is convince people that Western civilization is responsible for their victim status. And that therefore the only solution, since Western civilization is what's responsible for your victim status, what, there, what then therefore, Everett, is the solution to you being delivered from victimhood? Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western civilization has got to go. That's what this is. That's, that's what it is. You, you halfway answered your own question. Because the end game is the destruction of Western civilization. You have to convince all these people that Western civilization is responsible. It's that interview Tucker Carlson did earlier this week. With it, it was the guy in the city council in Baltimore. That is correct. Is that what it was? And, he, and Tucker just asked him, how do you explain that your last three mayors have resigned for corruption? How do you explain your crime rate is 342% higher than the national average? How do you explain that your city is controlled almost totally by people from your party who look like you? And yet one out of nine people in West Baltimore will encounter gun violence at some point in their lives, meaning they'll engage in it. They'll be victims of it or witness it. One out of nine. One out of nine. 
Trump said last night that's a higher gun violence rate than several third world countries, and he's right. When you do the math. And this guy, what was this guy's answer? Uh, 400 years of racism. Okay. All right. How many more seats on the city council do you guys need to have? All, you have all of them. How many years do you need to have them? You've had them for decades. So you have all the political power in that community. What are you doing with it? Uh, racism. 400 years of racism. Okay. So what did a guy, what did some dude piloting a, a slave ship in 1748? How is he still empowered to be putting down your community that you are in charge of? You have all the power to do something about right now. Why, why is that more impactful to the average family in that community than your position right now as a key figure in city government? A guy who's, who's been probably rotting in hell for the last 350 years, okay? regretting ever driving a slave ship so why is the how is a guy getting a pineapple up the ass from satan every day at 11 a.m okay in hell right how, how do you explain how that is still causing the one out of nine gun violence rate in west baltimore in 2019 explain dark psychic forces from yeah, trump yes yes yeah yeah because the reality is the the more west baltimore listen if, 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 if people, if, had, if the median income in West Baltimore were the $46,000 a year it is for America collectively, how many of those people would continue to, to be voting for politicians that are going to steal their hard on productivity? How many? Think it goes higher or lower? There's two kinds of people that typically vote Democratic, no matter what. The absolute destitute and the filthiest rich of the rich. Those are, the, those are the people that vote Democrat no matter who the candidates are or who gets nominated. Explain that. Well, the, 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 the richer you go, the more secular you tend to be, the more leftist you tend to be. That's why Barack Obama defeated Mitt Romney and John McCain amongst uh, the, the wealthiest classes in those two elections. And Hillary did the same in this last election against Trump. You know, there's two kinds of counties of those 15% of counties that voted for Hillary Clinton. There's two types. There's the uber progressive wealthy places, Seattle, Portland, places like that, where they've got so much money to burn, they can, they've got time to debate amongst themselves. What's a bathroom? What's a gender? And one of the reasons they have so much money to burn, they don't have any kids. In Seattle and Portland, those cities, there are families have more dogs than children per capita. A household does okay so you've got all kinds of discretionary income to debate well how do i you know make the world a better place with this and then the other people who vote democratic no matter what are the dirt poor and the reason they do it is victimology that's why now i actually think what the president is doing right now regardless of his motivations is is one of the most important points of dialogue a Republican in a national office has, has has opened up in my entire lifetime. Which is why I thought what he did this morning was terrible. And we will discuss that when we come back.
No, you don't. Keep a stoplight at your kitchen table telling you when it's time to stop eating because that would be creepy and weird. All right. But you, you, you were given one in your body. It's got a long name, fancy uh, as it is, but its abbreviation is OEA. And how it works is it sends a signal from the gut to, uh, from the gut to the brain to let the brain know, hey, we're full down here. Now you do your thing. And that's where your metabolism and everything else takes over for various reasons. Maybe we've just ignored it so long that it gave up. Uh, it, we just got older. Who knows? But for various reasons, for too many of us, this signal just isn't what it's supposed to be. And that's why we struggle with portion sizes and and cravings controls. And that's why even though you might be working out and working hard and trying to make lifestyle changes, but you just can't get over the hump uh, in the battle against your bulge. Well, this is where Riduzone comes in. All Riduzone wants to do is put that OEA back in, in your body. If you get a bottle of Riduzone, you turn it over, you're going to notice there's not 10 ingredients on there that you can't pronounce. It's really just this OEA. It's not loaded with chemicals, stimulants, caffeine. It's just about putting that OEA back in your body so then your body can do what it's supposed to do from there. If you want to give it a shot, use my name, Steve, as a promo code. They'll give you a special offer when you go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone.com. So, okay, I, I am, I'm enthusiastic. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I communicate this in a way that gives you no wiggle room to ju- just jump right to one of your cults. Now, there's going to be a segment of you that are going to do this anyway, but I want to, I want to, I want to do what I don't think the president did this morning. I don't want to needlessly turn off some of you that otherwise could see where I'm coming from, okay? What the president is doing in exposing these race hustlers, whatever his motivations may be, maybe he's just pissed at Elijah Cummings for still talking about impeachment when he ought to be impeached, when you see the condition of his district. It, it, those things are irrelevant to me. I, I'm not in control of those things. That's, you know, the, the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. I, I can't control motivations of people. Only my own. But the reality is, these are conversations that should have been had a long time ago. When I mentioned what I'm about to say on Twitter earlier today, one of the first responses was, well, this sounds like something a GOP consultant would say. Well, first of all, I know far many more GOP consultants than you do and can't stand the ground they walk on for about 90% of them. And, and do you know what almost every GOP consultant, with limited exception, and you tell who they are because we've allowed them on this show, right? right? But with limited exceptions, like my buddy Jason Johnson, almost every other GOP consultant would be freaking out that Trump is even going here at all and tell him never to even talk about this. No, I, I, I actually think this needs to be a highlight of his re-election campaign, if, provided he's willing to do it well. Now, if he's not willing to do it well, oh, then the rubber band effect will be real and spectacular, Terry Hatcher, and it will sting like a scorpion. Okay? So, so do not go here if you're going to half-ass it. And you can't even just go here for clicks or for applause lines at your rallies. I mean, if you're going to stir up a hornet's nest, better have the raid, right? 
Don't just walk by a hornet's nest, kick it around a few times, and then get dra- you know, drag out your phone to take video of you kicking out the hornet's nest because what's going to go viral, with the vine that everybody's going to pick away from that will be the way that that ends when you walk out of there with your face swollen from how many you know, hornet stings you've got in your body. Now, I, I, we for too long have left this hornet's nest of what the Democratic Party has done to these cities. We've just let it fester and fester and fester and let those people suffer and suffer and suffer. I'm all for, I don't want to kick it up. I want to grab an aluminum, the black East, the black magic Eastons we used to play with back yes. in the day. I want to grab one of those things, 36 ounce black Easton, black magic Easton aluminum bat. 3228, right? Yeah, and I want to swing away. Like Mel Gibson told Joaquin Phoenix at the end of that movie, Signs, swing away. That's what I want to do with it. I want to exercise it, is what I want to do. I want to burn those hornets' nests to the ground. What that political party has done to those cities is evil. Evil. It's not corrupt. Those words aren't strong enough. It's evil. Evil. But if we're going to go there, though, don't walk into an exorcism without having read the book, man. All right? Don't like walk into the exorcism in like 20 minutes and, oh, snap, I forgot the holy water. Don't do that. Okay? This is a tox. This is the eye of the storm in in American politics here. We wouldn't drop somebody off in Fallujah in January of 05 without the latest weaponry, right? We'd make sure they were trained. Because that's the eye of the storm. That's where the worst of the worst in Iraq were at the time. So if we're going to go here, and I'm all for it. I've wanted to go here my whole career. I'm, I'm all in on this. Wouldn't necessarily be the champion I choose to do it, but... Oh, well. Why, why let those people suffer longer while we wait for the perfect person to bring all these things up? They've suffered long enough. I'm all for it. And who knows? Maybe Nixon needs to go. Maybe Nixon is the one to go to China after all. But if we're going to go here, we have to be smart. If you're going to attempt to undo decades of conditioning, you have to really think here and be strategic. And your margin for error, today's Spanish, Aaron, un poquito, is your margin for error. There you go. Because everybody that you're trying to uncondition and detangle is conditioned to hate you. If you show them any signs at all that you are what they have been conditioned to say, to think you are, they will revert right back to their conditioning. And suddenly black turnout isn't going to be a problem for Democrats in 2020. This is a high stakes game of poker. Which is why I can see why Trump likes it. He likes those. Kind of, you know, kind of they'll go bid, go home things, kind of his thing, right? So I can see why he's attracted to this game. Then, no second place, Ricky Bobby. If we're going to go here, you're going to win or lose this next election on this battlefront right here. Right here. Because it is, it is replete with landmines. This is, this, is, this is the no man's land here for the Kaisers. This is the last line of defense between you and the emperor's palace. 
They're going to go Stalingrad 42, Scorched Earth. Because this is, this is where they've put their vile clutches the most in to their base, is in these communities. Who vote for their own suffering year after year after year. How far gone does a community have to be to do that of its own free will? Pretty far gone. Pretty far gone. Pretty conditioned. So if you're going to go in here, I want to make this point clear. I don't want to avoid this conversation. I want to have it. Like, I'd be fine if this was the main topic we discussed for the next 460 days. That's how many days it is until the 2020 election. I'd be fine if we were just parked here. Because if you look at pretty much every other issue other than the belief that that Democrats care about me and Republicans are racist, on virtually every other issue, black America agrees with people like you and I more than they agree with Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. But that's a tie that binds, man. And it's tight around their necks. So if we're going to go here, man, we got to be smart. Can't do ready, fire, aim. You're not going to get too many second chances. Got to think about this. Because this is where you either become the first Republican to get 15% of the black vote in 60 years. So before much of the electorate was ever born. Or people are like, man, this is higher black turnout than Barack Obama got. I, I need to state that disclaimer so you understand why I'm so worked up about this. See, I have a little bit of experience trying to earnestly organize predominantly black communities. Because the guy that I dedicated this last book to, that's what him and I did for a couple of years together. Trying to get white and black churches to cooperate, work together, to find common ground for the betterment of communities to get people who aren't used to associating with each other on any level and yet worship the same God. And man, we had, it was difficult for us to do it with all we had in common. Same Lord, same Savior, same salvation, same baptism. And still a lot of times there was so much historical angst of eggshells. What can I say? What can I do? When we had the gospel in common. Now we're going to try to do this without having that at the forefront. We're going to try to do this on a civic sense. Oh, that's even... Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, that's going to be even more of a narrow gate. That's going to be even tougher to do. So if we're going to go here, here's what we can't do. Now, I don't have any experience dealing with Al Sharpton. I didn't cut him checks like Donald Trump did. I worked on actual racial reconciliation in my career. In fact, the first time I did direct political activism with my show was getting the guy that, it, that I dedicated this book to elected to the school board as a black Democrat. It was the first time I ever did it. Get a bunch of white people in my audience to go out and vote in a school board election they never have voted on in their lives and then to do it for a black Democrat. And it worked. He won. So I know a little bit about this. A little bit. I got a little experience here. And so let me just tell you. If you check any stereotype boxes at all, you're done. Done! I can't stress it enough. And not only done, but the rebound is going to be real and spectacular. Oh, you'll still get all your clicks. 
all your clicks you want from, from, from your suck-ups. But you'll see all those black voters Hillary Clinton left on the sidelines, they're going to show up and vote a couple of times, okay? This is a serious gambit. You cannot just simply go here on a lark. You can't just simply go here on an on on um uh, on a tantrum. You got to think this thing through, because all of the all of the all of the information sources that will then come in and inform this community what you really meant and what you were trying to say are all against you. So you've got to be clear. And laughing at their congressman for his home getting broken in and robbed. Not a good play. Oh, yeah. Your white base will love it. Because, frankly, it's, it's funny as hell. It's, it's like when the rat came across the camera on, on that Fox report the other night. Cosmic timing. The timing of him getting robbed at the time we're supposedly building Baltimore up into Shangri-La. It's, all that's true. And I'm not even saying don't exploit that. But you got to carefully exploit it. In fact, you got to say, Congressman, you're now a victim of the very ills in your community. I was pointing out last week. You're calling me a racist for it. Well, who's the racist? The person who's willing to confront this and, and speak it, speak truth about it and do something about it? Or somebody like you who's been just letting it go on for so many decades that now it's even happening to you? See, I think the mistake that was made with Kanye West is they weren't satisfied with just getting him to be a symbol of breaking away from the Democratic Party plantation. They weren't satisfied with that. They had to go for the clothes. And that's why you need to now wear the MAGA hat. And he's like, ah. And you know what's funny? I poo-pooed that the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. I was totally skeptical about it. Well, it's been more than a year. He hasn't gone back on any of that stuff. He's not, he's not out there pimping libs at all. Gladly, it seems I was wrong about that, at least so far. But, but, but he's not saying anything now. Why? Because you went, for the, you went for the hard sale. You had to get him to now, you know, take off. Because that guy is saying, you know what? I've been on, I've been in a cult. And now I feel like you're trying to just, you know, get me to leave Jehovah's Witnesses to join Amway. You know, no, no. I kind of want to just enjoy being a free agent for a while. Because when you, when you go right for it, and that's why you need to wear the MAGA hat and come to the White House. When you go right for that, you communicate to somebody like that. You're not, that we're not, we don't see you as a human being. You're a construct. You're a means to an end. We only want to establish you as a beachhead so we can get these people to vote the way we want them to. Not that we actually care about them. The reason they don't vote with you, even though they're far more conservative on things like homosexuality than most of your white voters are, the reason why they don't vote for you with you on a lot of these issues, they don't think you care about them. And I can just tell you that from experience. I mean, we had to, we had to, I, I, we really had to work to convince these black churches we were partnering with. We didn't really care what happened on election day. We just think that we're better serving the gospel together. And we ought to be in a relationship with each other. And this shouldn't be as segregated as it is. Because they've already got one group of people out there turning them into a means to an end. They've already got one party out there turning them into a construct. They're not looking for another one. So if you're going to sell deliverance, that better be what you're actually offering. And that troll act this morning from Trump, that's exactly what 
People that have kept Elijah Cummings in office all these years and have lied to these people all these years, that's exactly what they have convinced this community somebody like Donald Trump really is. And they doesn't care about them. She's going to use them too. This can really blow up in our faces if this, if this is how we're going to do this. The reverb on this is a motherless goat. I'm all for doing this, man. But you got to thread a needle here. You got to care about people. Get off of Twitter. Get off of Twitter! And go to Baltimore and meet the people. Show them. I've seen, I've seen you, Mr. Trump, in person. I know how personable you can be. I've seen you remember, I've, I, I saw you remember a necktie. I've seen you remember, my, a buddy of mine tells me that he, he remembered a necktie that he gave him on a campaign stop like six months later. That's why people don't view you as the elitist they viewed Mitt Romney. That's why you have a populist base. You can build a populist base, I believe, in this community. I believe you could, actually. But you're not going to do it that way. You're going to have to show them you care about them. You're going to need to do this directly. Most of black America is not on Twitter anyway. Hell, most of any segment of America isn't on Twitter anyway. So if you're willing to do this, this is the harvest is plenty. But the workers are few. You're going to have to work here. Trying to take some easy way out. A group of, a, a whole community is not going to just realize Elijah Cummings has been a scam artist and lying to them and a leech on their community for decades because you had a clever tweet. But what will, what, what will happen is the likes of Mr. Cummings, who has proven he knows how to play the race hustler game, he will use this to make sure they get even more votes for the Democratic nominee next year than they got the last time. And that's my concern about this. This is a high stakes game. You walk out of here the winner or walk out of here empty. There is no second or third place. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts? Well, he's not really willing to do it. Um, we learned that with uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa. I mean, I was begging him way back then. Just go... Take care of this yourself. Uh, talk to her. Pull the hundred bucks for the or the thousand bucks out of your pocket. Say I, I'm not a big lecturer on marriage, but I know this is wrong. He just doesn't do this, man. Yeah, I mean, we can still pray, but that's uh, that's probably probably what we should be doing a lot and should have been doing anyway. Everybody have a great weekend. Overtime for subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you Monday. Until then, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.